If you or a loved one has been affected by work-life balance expectations, you may be entitled to emotional compensation. Perfect work-life balance is the fictional idea that every external demand on your time is reasonable, effortless to manage, and in your best interest, allowing you to do everything for everyone and yourself. Exposure to individuals who claim a perfect work-life balance may put you at risk. Please don't wait. Call 1-800-IT'S-LISA for an informational packet. If you work and or have a life, call now. Welcome to The Lisa Show, where we take a good look at life. What would you risk to live the life you want? Now, this episode is dedicated to work-life balance, and it gets really personal because everyone's situation is so different. You're going to hear that right away in the Council of Moms. Vanessa has this cautionary tale from a high-stakes meeting with Goldman Sachs, while Carrie and I are sitting in our cars at the park eating French fries by ourselves. So not everyone believes in balance, but most of us can identify a time when life was out of balance and we needed to make a change for our own well-being. Since those decisions are so deeply individual, you won't hear much blanket advice in this episode. Instead, we've gathered a bunch of perspectives, including two stories from very different times in my own life. One about a risk that my husband and I took, which completely uprooted our lives in pursuit of a better work-life balance, and how that turned out. And for the other, my friends, the Craigs, are back on to tell about the time when we were offered a million dollars. And turning it down was undoubtedly the right thing to do. Council of Moms, we have convened. We need to get to the bottom of the work-life balance. Is it a myth? Is it, is it possible? How does it re- relate to self-care? Before we dive into, you know, all the nitty gritty of it, today I have Vanessa Quigley and Carrie Ann Rhodes. Thanks for your time. Time is money. <laughs> this is my my point of view as we start. Is it possible to have a work-life balance? And especially in light of self-care, when you think about self-care and having like a healthy attitude towards, you know, these two huge things, how do you do it? Balance is a myth. I think it's all about integration. It just... It bleeds over. And and as an entrepreneur, like, I care about my work so much. I care about my family even more. There's no—it's very, very, very hard to draw boundaries. And so, for me, it's just all integrated, kind of like a family farm. That's how my husband and I talk about it. You know, like, I didn't grow up on a real farm. My my dad had one of, like, every kind of farm animal in our backyard, and we did have to milk a cow. Uh, But, like, farm work, you don't get a vacation. Like, that cow needs to be milked on Christmas morning whether you want to or not. And so that idea that your work is part of your everyday and you just figure out how to make it all work together. Okay, so it sounds like, you know, a flow, an ebb and flow, like a real creative act. So where does self-care fit into that? I'm still learning that, Lisa. Honestly, like in the beginning when I first started working full-time, I still had all these other things that I wanted to do. And so I'm like, how do I fit it in? Well, I'm just going to sleep less. I used to pride myself on the fact in college I could live on four hours of sleep. Oh, yeah, four hours is a dream. As a 45-year-old, now 50-year-old, like... You can't get away with that. It doesn't work. No shenanigans. In fact, there's a funny story. I was trying to pull this off, like, you know, burning the candle on both ends. And my husband and I flew out to San Francisco. We were trying to raise money for our business. And we were pitching Goldman Sachs. Whoa. 
My husband calls them the vampire squid. <laughs> I don't know why. Someone listening might know why, but that's we know. scary. It's TV. Um, so this was like, this was a big time meeting. And so I'm in my little business suit. Not really, but whatever. I right. <laughs> feel yeah. like business as I could. <laughs> there for the pitch. And mid-pitch, I remember very vividly my eyelids closing for a rest. I was just going to rest my eyelids while Nate said his part. And the next thing I know, Nate is elbowing me and I'm sound asleep <gasps> in a pitch meeting oh, with Goldman no. Sachs. My goodness. I was horrified. Um, not as horrified later as when I referred to my husband as babe in front of the investor and she, her eyes bugged out of her head. And I was like, oh, did we not tell you we're married? <laughs> She's like, okay, this meeting is over. <laughs> no, she was very gracious. We had a great laugh. But yeah, there is, you can't live on four hours of sleep. I can't live on four hours of sleep. So did you get the money? We, we did not get the money from them. Oh, no, spoiler alert. <laughs> that did not end well for us. <laughs> but it did show me that I've got to make a change. Like there are some things in this season of life that I cannot continue to do. I've got to figure out another way of doing things. Prior- sleep has got to be a priority yeah. for my aging body, for my mind that needs to be sharp at work. Um, and maybe there's things at home that I used to do that I love to do that I took pride in doing that I can outsource or I can find a different way of doing. So, like, reprioritizing and being okay with changing the way I'm doing things was a huge act of self-care. I, I also do not believe in the myth of balance. Um, I'd rather call it being centered. And I think I, I think I can hear it in what you're describing, too, is that, you, you know, if you have this kind of centering of values or goals or faith or whatever it is for the individual, then everything is going to fall in in place the way that you want it or the way that you need it. And um, if things become kind of wonky and they're kind of falling off center, that's a good time then to kind of recenter and what do I need to do to make to create the center again where my values are at the middle. There has to be change and mm-hmm. it's super uncomfortable and our bodies and our brains are res- are resistant to change. So that's what makes life fun. <laughs> Sometimes. You have to have that. <laughs> change it, but we don't want to. And I, I, I feel like that it answers the question, well, I, I've got to work, right, for this thing. And maybe it's a a new business and maybe it's a new career and maybe it's an old one, but you want to get a promotion or maybe, but whenever you want to sort of, I I call it sort of like the hustle mentality, like I need to get ahead. I might be able to sacrifice some things for that when that, and and I think self-care is at the top of the list of things to sacrifice, like Vanessa, it's sleep for you or, you know, like that, those tried and true things that you, you know, you think, oh, I'll, I'll always do this. And then it, it comes to the chopping block and you're like, oh, nope, that's got to go. That's got to go. That's got to go. Ooh, that has to go yeah. too mm-hmm. in order to do that. And and there are certain times in your life where you are hustling for a career or a, a certain job or a promotion or a business or an investor or whatever it is um, where that shifts. And then there's a kind of a period of not complacency, certainly, but, but, of, but of just like st- small steady growth that kind of like, I think, flips the balance. And it's the same thing with kids and relationships, right? Like nurturing your relationship with your partner and with your kids. And it depends on their age and the mm-hmm. newness of the relationship or the the oldness of it or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And so I am struck with how much self-care has to do with being open to that change right. because it necessitates it. So when people talk about, well, how do you do these two things that are so important, work and 
you know, your home life. Those are two things that you can't let go of. And you have to be like sort of on your toes because there's no secret formula. No. And and being willing, I, I think sometimes like as you're following, you know, your best path and you're feeling good and confident about, you know, the decisions you're making and especially the ones that kind of take you away from maybe the center specifically, that, I don't know, I feel like I trust people. I've trusted myself and I'm not working right now, but if I did go to work full time, I know exactly what I would have to what I would have to give up. Oh, and like, what? like let's talk. Specifics. Like my ceramics uh, hobby. Oh yeah, I started you started huh? a year ago. I'm loving it, but if I went back to work full time right now, I would have to pull way back on that hobby. That although it's brought me joy, if it's the right work situation oh, and it's if sure. it's what I need to do, I have confidence that I'll be able to kind of pull back. And when I was working full time, you know, with the kids. My self-care was smaller, but it didn't mean it was less effective. It was very effective at the time. It just is different. For me, for most of my marriage and having little kids, we had no money. Like, you know, my late husband was always in school, working two jobs, and and we both wanted me to be able to be at home when the kids were little, and that was an important value for both of us. So we were like, yeah, we'll sacrifice for it or whatever. So there weren't the self-care of like, we had to get creative, right? Mm-hmm. With like, you know, dating and connecting, and that was a big self-care thing. Or And I just remember thinking at one point, it doesn't matter that I can't afford to go get like a pedicure or a manicure or whatever. I can I can access that same sort of, like, what is it that I need? Is it the, that you know, is it the painted nail? No, usually it was just like, I need to get out of my house. Yes. You know, and sometimes self-care was just driving around or going on a walk or a lot of times it was eating french fries in my car. I was just going to say french <laughs> like, fries that I didn't at the have park. to share because like when your kids are little you're like yeah we can go get french fries right now but then it'll be like well I want one and then it's like you have to buy a ton of french fries but if you could just go and be like I'm going to eat these by myself mm-hmm. you know and that was and and you know when time and money are very scarce you can get real creative but it is possible. Yeah. And also I think Along because my my fries in the car at the park. Like I still do that though, you guys. It, it's good, and I can afford to go get a manicure. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd rather it's still eat the a fries. Way. Manicures <laughs> and pedicures are expensive. They I, are. Expensive. I can't afford it. No, I've been doing my own. I need I need to differentiate between escape and self care. Yeah. Ooh, what do you mean? Because sometimes there have been times where my you know eating French fries in the car at the park has been self care. I'm having like this intentional moment, and then other times it's been like panic, like. I am going for a drive and you get in your car and and it's more about just that escaping than like taking a breath and, you know. And so for, I have to be careful of that because I, I, I uh, with, you know, anxiety and things like I am prone to escape. And in, in the worst of times, the thought has crossed my mind, like you've got a credit card in your, in your wallet and a tank full of gas, like how far can you go? And that is not healthy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's an indication, though, that like, oh, something's off. Mm-hmm. My needs aren't being met. I call it being like real punchy, <laughs> real punchy. or stabby. If I'm feeling <laughs> or punchy or stabby, <laughs> like that's the code word. Yeah. Like yeah. when I talk to my 
people, you know, like if Gina's like, how you doing? I'm like, I'm stabby. She's like, okay, okay. so what do we... I'm going to use that. What, I know what, what you, that feeling is. I was just, right? <laughs> I you do. know, like how you say it. Yeah. And, and that is when you know, I think, or it's an indication for me, like, oh, a line's been crossed. Like, mm-hmm. well, maybe you need a better boundary with that friend or that kid or something. Like, why are you having such an emotional and an intense, you know, reaction? Yeah. That right. is, you are not caring for yourself if you are letting other people's attitudes or, you know, situations or decisions or whatever, like, affect you so much. But yeah, you're right. Like, a drive around the block isn't going to yeah, solve, and solve sometimes that. you need an emergency escape. Like, yes, that you do. Sometimes is, sometimes necessary. Take yourself out of that situation before someone says something. Someone gets hurt. Someone yes. gets hurt. <laughs> but I think this is the difference between self-care. I think self-care is a habit. It's something that mm. you choose to do, that you program, that you make a trade-off for because you're like, if I regularly do this, I'm going to be better off. Like right now, one of the things I'm doing is I'm plugging my phone in a different bedroom at 10 o'clock. And I used to think self-care was having quiet time to scroll social media by myself in bed before I fall asleep. But you know what that does? It gets my brain going. It makes it hard (laughs) to fall asleep that I'm like, it has this ripple effect of bad negative things. And so I really, what I want to do is I want my phone to be far away from me and have a chance to read the giant pile of books that is sitting Uh, next to my bed. A dream. So that is a habit that didn't, I had had to be made consciously because this is the, I had to identify what the result was that I wanted and what the action that needed to be taken. Um, So that's an example of programming self-care with an outcome in mind. But I am all for the escape, whether or not I'm getting in my car and driving away or coming home and not ready to go in the house and I just take an extra 15, 20 minutes in my garage by myself. <laughs> Why my kids myself? always know that I'm doing that though? They <laughs> always like, come knock, out knock, and, knock. As soon, and they come out like, they look at me like confused, like, you're home. Why aren't you coming in? Even though I've done it for years, like I just put up my finger like one minute when just I really need 10. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Because I just think when I go in there, yeah, it's just going to be a different mood yeah. and I'm going to need to do stuff and... Let me catch my breath. Let me catch my breath. The other thing that I thought of when you were talking about the center, Carrie Ann, is that I think that is so important to identify what's most important to you. And things will shift and you'll have like, you know, tugs here and there on different parts of your daily life. But like always addressing that center. And for me, it's my family and my faith. And so they're so intertwined. Mm -hmm. And even in this season of my life where I'm working and I might not be able to spend as much time with my family as I used to and doing things for my family. They are bought in that the fact that what I'm doing is important, important to me, it's important to them for their livelihood. And so we feel like we're doing it together. So it's not like me versus them. So, you know, I don't have a, a home-cooked plate of uh, chocolate cookies home <laughs> uh, ready for them they get home from school. Like there are moms that do that. They have fresh I know, baked I used to chocolate be that mom. cookies. Do you have their I have number? I've not been that mom for a <laughs> I want my friends to, to be house. with kids, with moms like that, because that's not the mom I am right now. And they're okay with it because they it's know okay. that I am here on your show and that I'm going to do some other thing for work. And they're proud of me. And the fact that I've I've communicate with them everything that I'm doing, the growth opportunities that I'm having, uh, they're all bought in on this experience. And we all view it as a season of life too. So I think communicating with your family, with your partner, and just making sure that you're all aligned on what your end goal is. And our end goal is to have a close-knit, tight family who loves each other. You can have that with our life looking very, very different than it used to 10 years ago. It's all that change. I love that. 
everyone's situation is so different. It's hard for anyone to say, you should work this much and spend this much time with family and have a job that gives you this much stress. I think what I'm finding is that it always comes down to what Vanessa said, finding what's most important to you. And after hearing the Council of Moms talk about how they find their balance, I want to dig into my own experiences to really figure out what that could look like. And to also help you know that I promise things never really go according to plan. And that's okay. I remember one of the first times like I seriously considered what like having a job or a career really like meant (laughs) for me. You know, I just thought... Oh, everybody just goes out and gets a job and a career that they like, that they enjoy. That's what grownups do, right? But like, what does it really mean? Um, I I remember this time and I wanted to know if I was remembering the story right. So I've invited my friends, Ken and Katie Craig in because they were with me. If we can go back into time, like this was what, 20 years ago? Yeah, 25 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Now I feel old. Well, I wanted to know if I was remembering the story correctly because we went on a walk and we met someone who changed the course of my life. Just kidding. I mean... It, it is a memorable story, though, yeah. about why we work. So, um, Ken, start off the story. So, it was it was June 1997, and we are <laughs> on a walk, uh, Katie and I, and you and Chris. Like, we'd only been married a couple years, right? And so yeah. we're, but we're also still all students. And so we're on a Sunday walk, and we are suddenly bombarded by like. Five or six college students that come running across the street. That we don't know. We don't know them. Mm-hmm. And they're probably, like, looking back, I don't know, two or three years younger than us. But at the time, we're married. And so I think we felt like we were a little older. Mm-hmm. But there was just this youthful energy of, you guys have to come in this house and hear this pitch. And this guy didn't think we could get you to come in the house. And you got to come in and, <laughs> they and were hear for it. Sure and, lacking. and we're like, is this an MLM? And they're like, no, 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 no. It's just five minutes, five minutes to listen to this guy. And like we knew what it was. I was. I remember looking, like the four of us were such good friends that we looked at each other like, okay, we know that this is a thing. This is an MLM thing. Yeah, that we're not interested in. And we're not interested, but we could mess with them. Yes. And it could be fun. (laughs) And we said all of these things with one look. (laughs) That's true. That's right. Like, yes, we will come into that living room. Like, this could be fun. I remember asking about the shape of their organization. (laughs) So is this a pyramid scheme? No, it's shaped like this. So is that like a triangle? Is it so, so it's shaped like a triangle, so a which triangle, looks like a pyramid. But not a pyramid. <laughs> no. It's not the same. Yeah, sure. Let's go listen. <laughs> I remember, in fact, I remember Lisa, he's saying, is this a pyramid scheme? And they, no, pyramid schemes are illegal. I know they're illegal. Is that what this is? <laughs> Do you remember saying that? I'm like, oh, no, I'm very aware oh, they're illegal. <laughs> I want to know Apparently, if this is it. You yeah. Too. So we all agreed to go in and hear this pitch. And, the, and there was a guy sitting on his chair like, He's probably you know, the age we are now or younger. But he, yeah, I think he was yeah. younger. The, the the guru. Yeah. And he's kind of holding court in this student living room. Yeah, and, some mixed matched couches. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, uh, vintage furniture, which <laughs> yes. they probably found on the street. So on brand for yeah. what was happening in that room. <laughs> so, yeah. And so then he, he kind, of went, kind of threw questions at us like, that he wasn't really waiting for our answers, but he was like, uh, you know, would you drive a, a dump truck for a year if it meant a million dollars? And I'm like, I, 
Like, are you in a hiring position? Is that is that job really exist? Is this a dump <laughs> truck driving class? <laughs> wanted us to say, yeah, I'd do anything for a million dollars. And we kept saying, well, is it is it creatively satisfying? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, who's running this business? Do How I get clean to is it? bring my family with me? Like, and it it was so frustrating to this guy. Oh yeah, because we wouldn't answer. He was just a he was just we a knew, hype man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to make this big pitch and showing the kids how the big pitch is done. Yeah. My favorite part was when he said, do you know how much a million dollars is? And I said, yeah. Yeah, I do. And he's like, if you, like I interrupted the script and he's like, if you took a dollar bill and put it head to toe with another dollar bill, it would reach all the way to the moon. And then we were like, sign well, me that's, up. That's not physically possible. Well, like, how do you know? What if I use coins instead of bills? Like, how far would that be in a dump truck? <laughs> Absolutely missing the point just to mess with them. Yeah. Because we hated the questions. Yes. So bad. It just felt we so knew, insincere, right? We, it was so transparent who he was. He was trying to show all of these lackeys, Little this is how to make a pitch and this is how to get a sale. And it's so easy. You can do it too. And we were not playing along. No, we, we were weren't not playing, playing along. <laughs> and I think I, I would like to believe, in a deeper level, we were also saying to all of these kids, yes. like, don't fall for this. Yeah. this you, he's telling you a get rich quick scheme. It's not going to work. We will show you in a funny way. <laughs> this is not going right. to work. Please rethink your Didn't choices. Did he offer us like money to yes, listen to he the He said, pitch I will give yeah. you $100 to sit down for an hour. And we're like, and I remember Chris going, great, we've got an hour right now. And he's yeah, like, well, start. I'm tired. Well, not right now. So we're right going to have to do it later. Not, And then all these guys that he had just recruited were like, you didn't promise us $100. You promised us ice cream. And then you didn't even get us ice cream. And we're like, you guys, this is what you can <laughs> count on with this guy. Eyes. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it's always rebranded in something different, it right? Is. Like I don't, Like, I don't remember what we were... I have he no was idea. Pitching us. No. I have no it idea. It was not to drive a garbage me. truck, but that's the only part of the story that I remember <laughs> is like thinking, would you drive a garbage truck for a year for a million, for a million dollars? And I just thought, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, but that's not what you're offering. Like, yeah, that's your not point? what you're really yes. doing. And he also, I, this is the other thing I remember was he said, what if you only had to work two hours a day? And Chris, what if you could make a million dollars and only work two hours a day? Yeah. And Chris, go, and I remember Chris going, well, I think I would need to feel fulfilled by actually doing a work that mattered to me and that I was earning that money. And the guy goes, oh, it's hard work. And Chris goes, the whole two hours? <laughs> it's two fundamentally different perspectives on work, right? Yeah, like yeah. it's the idea of do you work to make money or you work to, you know, and he was not going to have that conversation with no, us. No, And we kind of real. thought, hey, this conversation is more interesting to us. Like, why do we work? And and what does money have to do with it? And Because also, and I, I think do we went down the road of like, well, could you do both? Yeah. <laughs> work for two hours. And then, yeah. like, is this philosophically what you're talking about? And I could see he was getting so frustrated <laughs> that we were getting off script. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He finally said, I know none of you guys are taking me seriously. Yeah. And I felt proud and a little bit sad for him in that yeah. moment. Like, oh, buddy, we didn't mean to take the wind out of your sail, but, but kind of we did. But kind of we did. Yeah. It was a fun night that we still remember <laughs> this many years later. We did not get $100 or any ice cream. Though. No. True, and, but we and did that, get a good story. But we did get a good story. <laughs> 
Katie and Ken have been friends of mine for over 25 years now, and we've made a life buying premium ice cream and not making much money. I think the best way to have a really healthy work-life balance is to live a life or have a job that you don't want to escape, one that, that you find a lot of value and fulfillment in and that isn't stressful but is more energizing. But that comes at a price, and sometimes it can be hard to not only figure out what job will give you all of those things, but also you have to balance it with realistic expectations that, you know, even your dream job is going to have elements of it, right, that you dread or that um, can seem stressful or could overtake your life and get you off balance on that work-life balance. So when I think about self-care, it always gets me thinking about how you set yourself up, like the whole structure of your life to make self-care more possible. And in this case, how you make your job set it up for success so that you are playing to your strengths and not your weaknesses. Now, again, this is not an easy thing to do. Um, I remember way back in the uh, early 2000s, uh, um, my late husband and I, we were living in a condo with two little boys, a baby and a toddler. We were done with school, or so we thought. <laughs> you know, we had both gotten our bachelor's degrees. Um, Christopher got a job managing a Barnes & Noble, and it was this big flagship store. We had health insurance. We were making the most money we'd ever made. Like, we did it. We just kind of, we were like, wow, you know, we've got these degrees. We're living life. We've got these cute boys. We did it. And yet, <laughs> I still remember on like a Sunday night, you get those Sunday night blues. I think we can all relate to that, where especially for Christopher, it really knocked him out. He liked his coworkers. He liked his job, right? But he felt like, and I remember him telling me, I just feel like any monkey could do this job. You know, like I have to do reports and unpack boxes of books and set them up and do reports. <laughs> I don't know what these reports were, but there were a lot of them. And and yeah, it was kind of social and that was one of his strengths. And, you know, as an English major who had been on the theater scholarship but, you know, didn't think that it was that practical for a family, he felt really torn because he wanted to do something meaningful, something that, you know, used his talent for acting and his interests, um, you know, a career fulfillment. But he felt sort of stuck when he felt like he should have been grateful, right? And then one day we had some friends tell us about this MFA, this Masters of Fine Art program in Exeter, England. And as they described it, we both just got energized from head to toe. I remember we looked at each other and um, we were at a party with people and we were asking them all these questions and we got in the car and he was like, oh my gosh, that sounds perfect. And I said, that is perfectly tailored for you. Like you are obsessed with Shakespeare. You love it. You did all your, you know, undergrad on that. You love acting. I mean, this could be amazing. And I just felt like, I think this is what we're going to do. It's like one of the few times in my life that we were just energized on this of like, I can't believe that this kind of program exists. But, you know, do we risk it all to do this? And in this particular program, he would be studying with one of the top three um, Shakespearean experts in the world. It was a staging Shakespeare degree, directing Shakespeare. And it was his specific passion. I mean, it really included everything that he liked, everything that he was good at. I mean, he was that little kid who, I, this literally happened. I know it sounds like I'm making it up and it's like in a TV show or something like that. But like where the kids were outside playing and they're like, hey, 
Christopher, come out and play. And he's like, yeah, uh, I'm not feeling well. I'm just going to go lay down. And he was like reading Shakespeare plays. You know, he didn't do that all the time, but like he did just read them one summer as a kid. And so this was something that wasn't just like a flash in the pan idea. So we heard about this. I knew if he applied, he would get in. And I just started thinking about, okay, what am I going to pack? I was just so confident that he was going to do it. And I guess I was just young enough that I was like, what could go wrong? (laughs) Fast forward, lots of things. But, oh, I miss that, like, bright, hopeful, young, naive Lisa. But, you know, it got her to a lot of places, so good on me, right? Anyway, he applied, got in, and he got one of these coveted spots, and we quit that really great job that was awesome to earn no money and move to a different country. (laughs) So stupid if you say it out loud, but was honestly, I think, one of the most important years in our marriage as well. It put us on a a different track. And specifically, career-wise, Christopher had an entirely different career. It was super demanding and rewarding. It never really made us a ton of money. Although, to be fair, it never promised to make us any money. So, you know, we went in fully aware of that. But we'd made that decision, I think, consciously that year especially when we applied, like to live a certain way and kind of not look back, right? Like we're going to make this decision and we're not going to second guess it. And we're risking it for a certain life that we're going to determine. And that, because knowing that you're going to spend so much time at work, I mean, that that is your life in a large chunk of it. So you can't just say it doesn't matter because it it does. How much it matters and how much you define of your life, I don't think matters. I honestly don't think that if you, you know, had a job that you hated, but it provided a great life and a great living for your family and, you know, fed your kids, I feel like there's great honor in that, right? The difference is in how you approach it, Right and how you define yourself or don't define yourself by what you do. And I think either are totally appropriate choices. Looking back now, the actual job didn't matter as much as we were taking a step back and looking at it as an entire kind of career. And then it was folded up in our family and then and my career as well as it sort of weaved in and out. And it just became about creating a life. And that's, I think, a different kind of way to look at work and to look at a work-life balance. And I realized that that this is a sort of dramatic story, right? Not everybody just quits their job and moves to England to get an entirely new career. Some people do, but people do take risks and do make choices in small and big ways, banking on a future, right? Banking on living a certain way. Because we did that, it made me and the kind of work, the kind of jobs that I accepted, the kind of like family, you know, big crazy life that we have with a a bunch of kids while we're doing these creative projects, it made it natural. 
And maybe this is a dramatic example because it's a career in the arts, but I don't think so. I think in any career with anything that you're interested in, whatever your passion is, that that can lead you to living a more intentional life. And there are many different ways that you can fold that in to your life, right? And sometimes it is your job, and sometimes it's a part-time job, and sometimes it's a side gig, and sometimes it's it's a hobby, and sometimes it, it doesn't have to do necessarily all or nothing. But it is that moment. I think of that moment of if you could do anything, what would you do? And what are you willing to do to risk it? And then also balancing that with, okay, we want to support a family or we have other goals or we want to spend more time as a family or we want to have a life that looks like this. Whatever questions you're asking yourself, I think that drives the intentionality of your career choices instead of, I serve my career first, I serve my job first, and then my family and my intentions get whatever's left. And that was the difference between how Christopher was living before to how he was living for the rest of his life. Finding your own work-life balance might mean getting more sleep, more french fries, turning down an opportunity, or sacrificing comfort to chase a passion. This is a form of self-care that pays off in the short and long term. Not every career move I've made has worked out well for me, but I've never regretted making a bold choice in pursuit of my well-being. If you're in that process right now, trying to find the right work-life balance for you, know that everyone's ideal situation will look different. And for me, it always comes back to taking a step back, figuring out what's most important in my life right now, and then making intentional changes to get my life closer to what will be best for my mental and emotional health. As parents, it can feel a little overwhelming because parenthood never ends, right? It's 24-7, that we always need to model correct behavior in parenting and that we always need to be self-sacrificing and serve our kids. And something that I've come to learn in kind of dramatic ways is that when we don't take care of ourselves, when we don't see the divine and inherent worth we have as individuals, we're not serving anyone. And really taking care of ourselves helps us be a better spouse, be a better employee, a better friend, better equipped to show up in the world and help others, not to mention being a better parent as well. And so even though it seems overwhelming, all the different things that we need to do and all the different roles that we need to fulfill, we can very easily lose ourselves and our self-worth and even our self-care in pursuit of very good things of helping other people or becoming a great employee or becoming somebody that other people can't live without. Whatever we're driven by, if we don't slow down and take a step back and really examine how we're nurturing ourselves and how we see ourselves. If we really see that we have a divine worth and an integrity individually, we're not going to be able to help other people. Taking care of ourselves is not a luxury. Taking care of ourselves is a need. Please share your story and join this dialogue. Send this episode to a friend. Be a part of our listener community Facebook group. And of course, you can always send us messages through one of our channels, Facebook, Instagram, email us. I love hearing your feedback and your stories, and I would love to talk to you about it. As for me, it's 4.58 p.m. And if I want to get out on time, I got to get going. 
See you next week. The Lisa Show is a production of BYU Radio. It's hosted by Lisa Valentine Clark and produced by McKay Menden and Becca Hurley with music and post-production by Sam Clausen. If you like the show, make sure to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you have questions for the Council of Moms or just want to tell us about an experience you've had with the show, you can connect with us on Instagram and Facebook. Next week on The Lisa Show. Okay, so did not read the whole thing, thumbed through it, read one paragraph about how your partner might help bring you breakfast in the morning. You guys. <laughs> Expectation set. Expectation yeah, They might set. do this. I mean, what a wonderful thing. I wish I that know. I could remember, like, exactly what it says. In my mind, it said, if your partner loves you, they will get up before you and bring you breakfast every single day of your pregnancy. I mean, Yeah, because you're growing a human. Growing Sounds a human. reasonable. That's next week on The Lisa Show. Be sure to find it wherever you download your podcasts.